This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The Chicago gun ban is no more, but the McDonald gun case challenging the second city's virtual ban on private handgun ownership was about more than just incorporation. The details here matter. Ilya Shapiro, editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review, comments. Five justices voted for the position that the individual right to keep and bear arms, uh, as spelled out in the Second Amendment, uh, applies to the states. The question was open after Heller, because Heller, of course, only applied to the District of Columbia and other federally controlled territories. Uh, Four of the justices, led by an opinion by Justice Alito, joined by the Chief Justice and Justices Scalia and Kennedy, uh, held that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, through a procedure called uh, incorporation via substantive due process, uh, that that right to keep bare arms is extended to the states. Like many rights uh, have been extended uh, over the last century, Um, First Amendment right to free speech, Fourth Amendment right to be free from uh, search and seizure without uh, a warrant or probable cause, these sorts of things. The the original Bill of Rights didn't protect you against state tyranny and oppressions, but uh, uh, the 14th Amendment after the Civil War did, and and those four justices said that it was because of the the Due Process Clause. Justice Thomas, the fifth vote, the deciding vote, the the, the key vote to, to extend this right to the states, said, no, that's all legal fiction. He literally called it legal fiction and uh, tenuous uh, jurisprudence, tenuous argument. That's very interesting. His opinion is actually about 15 pages longer than Alito's, his concurrence. He uses the Privileges or Immunities Clause, which of course is what I and many of my colleagues here at Cato and uh, other allies, uh, Randy Barnett, um, uh, Ilya Soman, uh, Tim Sandifer, an adjunct scholar who wrote our brief in the case. And Alan Gura. And Alan that Gura, That was how he presented in the oral argument. Was That's a- right. Alan Gura led off with privileges or immunities. And, and we support this position because uh, it's more faithful to the Constitution. If you're going to be an originalist or a textualist, if you're going to uh, read the Constitution for what it means, um, then this is the way to go. Privileges or immunities was 19th century shorthand for natural rights, the rights that we have uh, uh, before the government is even formed, before the Constitution is even um, written. And uh, the only reason why courts have had to go to substantive due process and this weird incorporation thing is because of the slaughterhouse cases five years after the 14th Amendment was ratified. These are a set of cases out of uh, regulation of Louisiana slaughterhouses that uh, said that privileges or immunities protects, uh, well, pretty much nothing, just a, a, a negligible set of, of federal rights. And so courts have had to kind of blow up uh, this due process clause into something that it was never meant to be. So again, Thomas uh, brings a great uh, historical discussion talking about how the 14th Amendment was put in uh, by the Reconstruction Era Congress because they were concerned about the violations of uh, uh, primarily uh, uh, freed blacks uh, after the Civil War, um, uh, being disarmed, being you know, beaten, the, the incidents and badges of slavery that the 13th Amendment didn't fully take care of. Uh, this is what privileges or immunities are about, as well as due process and equal protection. They're, they're a kind of a, a big mesh that goes to protect individual rights against state uh, usurpation. And uh, Thomas goes through this and says, look, this is the time to bring back privileges or immunities. And this is important because if all nine justices had agreed um, 
on the same uh, ruling, uh, and eight of them had gone due process, and then we'd have Thomas alone, then his view would have been quirky and interesting, but not really that important. But here, because he's the fifth vote, uh, that means as law students learn about this case and how our rights are protected, uh, what fundamental rights are and where they come from, um, the Privileges or Immunities Clause will now be part of the discussion because that's the necessary fifth vote. So Thomas, in some sense, is arguing for someone to be listening long from now. Exactly. And and this isn't, you don't have to look back very far to see um, where a sole voice uh, ends up uh, winning the court uh, sometime later. In the Baki case, it's an affirmative action case in 1978, Justice Powell was the only one who, uh, he concurred in the majority's opinion, but he was the only one that relied on uh, diversity. It's important to have diversity in education. Um, and that was, people thought, well, maybe that's the controlling opinion, given that it was the necessary fifth vote. And lo and behold, 25 years later, in the Grutter decision, which we don't really like, but it's it's the law, O'Connor, Justice O'Connor wrote, saying that diversity indeed was the primary justification for affirmative action education, at least for 25 years. So we'll go back in 2028 and see what happens. You said that there was a fairly serious misreading of the infamous footnote four by the dissent, or the three dissents. Right. So um, Justice Stevens, in his kind of valedictory, in his last thing that he did on the bench before retiring, wrote a, a dissenting opinion only for himself. Um, nobody joined him. Justice Breyer wrote separately, and, and Justice Ginsburg and Sotomayor uh, joined uh, that. There, there's not that much difference between Breyer and Stevens. Stevens is kind of more philosophical. Breyer is more uh, technocratic. Uh, but both of them are making pragmatic points that, well, look, uh, because of urban violence, because of uh, what the modern world is, we can't really have the same view of the Second Amendment uh, as people did in 1789 or 1868 or, or what have you. Uh, the Constitution has to adapt to modern realities. Uh, I mean, they may or may not be right on the pragmatic uh, policy social science uh, issues. Uh, what I've read uh, from that literature tells me that they, they, I don't think they quite have it right. But regardless, that's not how you do law. That's not how you do uh, constitutional interpretation. And one thing that they flatly got wrong when they were trying to do constitutional interpretation was footnote four of Caroline Products, which is a 1937 case that unfortunately bifurcated our rights. It said that certain of our rights, like political rights, um, and like rights that are enumerated in the Constitution, have higher protections than, say, economic liberties or other types of property rights. Uh, that aren't as uh, uh, explicit or, or what have you. Well, here, this we're, you know, we're not even talking about you know, the Institute for Justice uh, litigating a case on the right to earn an honest living or you know, Cato engaging, uh, you know, tilting at windmills about you know, our you know, libertarian conception of the Constitution in exile as we've been derided or, or what have you. Uh, this is squarely the Second Amendment. The text is right there in the Constitution. And uh, Stevens and Breyer just, uh, uh, they, they just miss it. Um, uh, it's it's curious. They 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 even when they're trying to do the the precedent, the 1937 case that we don't like, that they cite in lots of other cases. But here they they, they get it wrong. So it's it's a lot of uh, uh, they're really curious and and disappointing opinions. I mean, it's disconcerting to me that once we already have the individual right to bear arms, that it would be again a five four um, somewhat politicized uh, decision to then extend it to the states. 
I would have thought that, you know, they could have said, well, we still think Heller is wrong, but under Heller, uh, they have to be extended to the states. Uh, but Chicago's gun ban is okay for a Breyer multi-factor balancing test. That kind of opinion I could have understood. Uh, but it is just tremendously uh, startling, uh, breathtaking to see the dissent um, just at the most basic level misunderstanding what the Constitution is all about. Elena Kagan, uh, currently undergoing some questioning uh, on her path to being the next Supreme Court justice. How has this case illuminated that questioning? Well, here, here you see how the uh, Cato podcasts are timely, because just uh, at this recording, not 20 minutes ago, I was listening to her talk about Heller and McDonald. And as with every single case she's ever mentioned, she says that this is well-settled precedent. I mean, well, McDonald was decided mere days ago. Uh, you know, it's already well settled, and that is the precedent going forward. So uh, I guess we can expect uh, Elena Kagan uh, never to vote to overturn anything, any Supreme Court precedent, including uh, these cases. We'll have to wait and see. Um, based on uh, Sotomayor's uh, testimony last year, we could have expected her to be a little more friendly to the Second Amendment than she has displayed in McDonald's. So we'll have to see about that. But, but Kagan's taking a, an interesting tack that may come back to bite her uh, in the future. Ilya Shapiro is editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. You can order your copy at cato.org.